following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Einstein said some pretty cool things. He's pretty one smart dude. He wasn't even Asian, but he's really smart. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that he said that was pretty bright is um, there are only two ways to live your life. One as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. Fascinating kind of concept from a guy whose life was surrounded by everything that science could do and reproduce empirically in a laboratory. There's only two ways to live your life. One as if one as though there is one as though there <laughs> one as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. I found this picture on the uh, <clears throat> World Wide Web and it reminded me of that funny story where a guy on the California coast was walking along on the beach <clears throat> at a solitary moment dreaming across this great expanse of the ocean. And uh, he uh, found in the sand a lamp, and he kicked it over, and he realized, hey, maybe so. So he picked it up and rubbed it, cleaned off the dust and the sand, and uh, sure enough, a genie popped out. And the genie looked uh, not really strong and and virile, but instead he looked rather exhausted and tired. He said, man, I've been in this stupid thing for an entire century. I'm exhausted. I know you're probably expecting three wishes, but I'm just too tired. If you can can just be happy with one wish, I'll give that to you, whatever it is. And the guy thought, boy, this is terrific. He says, I'd I'd wish for a, a freeway from here and the California coast to Hawaii so I could drive there. I can't afford to fly. I can just drive there whenever I want. Jeannie looked at him with a gas, and he says, you can't be serious. You realize how much material that would take to build a freeway from here, from California to Hawaii? And and do you realize all the the environmental impact studies I'd have to get through in order to get this thing done? And Man, that's not even talking about the possibilities of maintenance of this goofy thing. Come on, I'm tired. Can't you give me something easier to work with? The guy thought, yeah, 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 okay, I wish for perfect understanding of women. And the genie thought for a minute and looked at the guy, well, that would be three lanes or two. So I don't know if miracles to you (laughs) come in degrees of difficulty. Some are more and more challenging, and others are even miracles uh, when you consider it are impossible. Well, here's an interesting picture. This is a, this is a, a guy who uh, was uh, traveling, and he, he said that he was only going 55 miles an hour. But somehow, when he was coming down the freeway, he crashed through this barricade and flipped over this culvert and landed on the other side of the culvert and landed right side up. He and his passenger were not severely injured, but he was telling the officers, yeah, I wasn't really going that fast. Uh, but the officers measured the the uh, skid mark and estimated his speed at in, in excess of 75 miles an hour, not 55, as he said. And um, not only is this kind of an interesting picture, if if it is in fact the case that he flipped over this culvert, but if you if you look at it from another perspective, the miracle of this particular event is something that's rather stunning. Here's another picture of that same episode, and this is the truck here. And this is the part where he broke through the rail. So he flipped over here and landed right here on the edge instead of uh, plummeting down 
this huge, huge cliff. So this is actually a verified event. The uh, Hurricane City Police in Utah are the ones who have it on, uh, on, on record. And uh, this 92-foot uh, skid mark that he left up here uh, just before he crashed into the barricade is evidence of the fact that he probably really wasn't paying attention and speeding way too fast and handling this uh, rather uh, curvaceous road. So this miracle in his life occurred, and he could live to tell about it. And sometimes what we have in our lives are opportunities to just tell people what in the world has happened in our life. And uh, it's not so much that God has called any of us to be this great apologetic superstar. Some people are, and some people are very good at it. And I know that the Scripture says, always be ready to give an answer. Uh, But that's, of course, if someone else takes initiative to talk to us. But more importantly than even being able to give the answer to any question that's asked, God just simply asks us to be his witnesses. And to be a witness, it's amazing because all you have to do is not convince somebody else of anything that's true. You just know what you've experienced and you just tell them what, what experience you've had. So it's really the, this whole mindset that sometimes we don't say much about our faith uh, uh, in Christ to people because we're a little bit nervous about what they might ask us. And we really don't have to answer all their questions. We just have to simply testify, well, this is what happened to me, and this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. And, uh, boy, if you want someone to, to answer your questions, I, I know a guy, perfect, his name's Eric, he'll answer all your questions. And uh, so sometimes that's all we really need to do is to just give people a chance to hear the miracle that God has brought into our life. And probably one of the challenges that we as men have is that we sort of forget the, the excitement and the enthusiasm of God's provision in our life, because our memories are rather short. And what is so spectacular and what was so emotionally enthusiastic for us somehow gets to a point where it starts to lose its luster. And so every once in a while we just need memories and something to jog our memory about how special something is. Here's one of those uh, memory joggers for me. Uh, this, this is my grandson. He's only six, mo- six months old. And uh, in, in our season of life, my wife and I, we, we were really looking forward to having that next generation of children come along. And I remember my wife just kept telling me, Bruce, honestly, if God just gave me one, I'd be happy. I said, honey, that's nice to hear. And she, I don't know how many times she repeated that. Now that we've had this grandchild, she says, man, I can't wait for the next one. And uh, I said, you remember what you told me so many times, countless times before? She says, I don't remember and you don't either. And it's one of those <laughs> it's one of those moments in life where you said, Yes, dear, you know, those two words really are sometimes the wisest response in uh, human living. For all of us guys here, uh, we know the truth, they know the truth, but it doesn't have to be exegeted any further than that. But the whole concept of us remembering miracles in our life and when God intervened in a very special way so that we can have reminders of what he's done. Because God doesn't give us miracles every minute just because our memory is so bad. But he does give us miracles, and he really asks us to remember the things that he's provided in our life. And he's, he's given us a number of landmarks, not only in our own personal life, but also as a church as a whole. So as, as we go into our study today in Joshua chapter 5, just looking at three verses, 10, 11, and 12, uh, I'd like us to focus on that whole concept that sometimes miracles go for a long period of time, but then they come to a conclusion. And then God moves us on to something else. That sometimes what God wants us to do is realize that the process 
of him intervening in our life is leading us to another point where something else takes over. And sometimes that new thing that takes over is so amazing, we actually forget the miracles that God brought to us, brought us to a particular point in order to enjoy this great phase of our life that he wants us to enjoy. So we're going to talk about three verses that really speak about three days that speaks about this transition of one series of miracles onto the next. So start thinking a little bit about how God has intervened in your life, intervention by God in your life that really means something to you. Because if it really means something to you, then probably it'll be very meaningful to somebody else. And you just have to be alert for those times when somebody asks a question and you get a chance to tell them what God has done for you. Well, here are those three verses we're going to be looking at this morning in Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. This is what the scripture says. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. So that sequence of events, sometimes we uh, rattle over pretty fast. We're going to pause here momentarily to realize that God's into this whole business of timing. But sometimes God's greatest miracles are not so much something that's so spectacular as it is God's timing. His provision is always miraculous. We can value what he provides for us, but we can also treasure the fact that he controls the time in which those provisions are given to us. Well, let's look here at verse 10 of chapter 5. As the scripture tells us why the nation of Israel was camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, Uh, For all of you who have some kind of military background, and especially if you've been in leadership in a military background and been trained with strategic and tactical maneuvers, uh, you should probably pause and think about this particular verse too, because the nation of Israel was safe from the enemy on the other side of the flooded Jordan River. Now the Jordan sometimes, if you go over to Israel today, is only a matter of uh, 10 to 12 to 15 feet wide. But during the, the spring runoff and in, in, in the winter, late winter time when the waters start to flow, it can be anywhere from a half a mile to three-quarters of a mile wide. And of course, in, in that day and age, all these waterways were considered a natural protective barrier. So when the people in Jericho behind their massively walled city could see the nation of Israel all milling about, they feel the threat of a people who are going to be attacking them, they felt safe for at least several months. Well, then God does this miracle and stops the River Jordan, and the nation of Israel crosses the River Jordan on dry ground. He not only stopped the water, but he also dried up the muddy uh, river bottom. And then as soon as they all were across, two and a half million people, God allowed the river to, to start to run again. It's like God brought everything back to normalcy after his purpose was accomplished. So now the nation of Israel is on the same side of the river as the city of Jericho. And as they are on the same side of the river of Jordan, they have no protection. They are not a militaristic people. They have nothing as far as barricades to protect them as a people. So they're there, and they are vulnerable. So from a military perspective mindset, the nation of Israel is now exposed. 
And all of us who are uh, in, involved with any kind of leadership, and for you who are involved with business, you are involved with finances, you know what it's like to talk about, well, let's position ourselves to minimize our exposure. That kind of conversation is really common among all of us in so many different areas of our profession. Let's position ourselves so we have the least amount of exposure. We even do that in church. Pastoral leadership looks at a church situation. Where are we going to have the least amount of exposure so in case something goes wrong, we can minimize damage or circumvent the problems that we're going to be facing? Well, if that's common among us guys when we lead the lives of other people and we look at Joshua 5.10, we're saying, man, oh man, the nation of Israel actually puts themselves, according to God's will, in a position of massive exposure so that the dangers that are there are overwhelming. It doesn't make any sense from a military leadership standpoint to expose yourself like that, but God's will brought them there. If you could think about some times when you know that you were doing what God wanted you to do, but for some reason that position brought you in a position of exposure and how uncomfortable that felt, that's probably what was going on here in the lives of the nation of Israel. God called me in the ministry. I knew that. God prepared me for teaching the lives of other people with a great deal of effort and time and expense, and the compensation was going to be very minimal, but that's what God wanted. And we knew that that's what God had in our life. And as, as I took on a teaching position, as working hard, long days, long nights, long weekends, uh, preaching on the weekends just to compensate so that we can manage all things. We wanted to keep our wife at, my, my wife at home, the mother of the kids, so that she can oversee the children's lives. We made that commitment. We made those choices. But because uh, the salary that I was making at the seminary that I was teaching at was so low, we actually qualified according to the state of Oregon where we lived at the time. We qualified for subsidized meals for the children in school. And I thought, well, this is great. This is good. This is, a, this is an answer to prayer. Now, sometimes what we guys see from the standpoint of our economic understanding is, uh, is, is sometimes missing a step or missing a beat when it comes to the implications for the lives of people that we really love. And what I didn't realize after months and months of having our children sign up for subsidized meals was the sheer embarrassment they felt every single day. Especially when teachers would say, all right, everybody with subsidized meal tickets, stand over here. Say that out loud to all the students. And my kids told me after months and months of going through that embarrassment, Dad, this is humiliating to stand there and watch all the kids see us. And I suddenly realized that for a few dollars every day extra that we saved, I was traumatizing our children from that particular standpoint. I remember that feeling of being exposed to realize that I thought we were getting away with something, and this was something good, because economically we guys think about that. We pinch our pennies. We save our dollars. We see a way to save some money, get a discount. And yet it humiliated my children to the point where I realized, man, oh man, God, nothing like striking me in my spirit. When I thought this was your will and all I was doing was making it up. And at least, God, if, if you're doing anything, you're teaching me a lesson to pay more attention to how my children are responding in the circumstances that I put them in as I answer your call for me. So I apologized to my kids and I rearranged their budget and I gave them the money. I said, man, go buy the, go buy the first class meal. Same meal, just cost more. 
But the thing that we were able to buy was now uh, protecting the spirit and the dignity of my kids so they didn't have to feel embarrassed. And that exposure was no longer a necessity. When you get that feeling, it's one of those reasons why many of us guys hesitate. This is what God really wants me to do? Man, think about the exposure. I'm losing time. I'm losing resources. I'm doing some things that just don't make sense from a worldly standpoint. When I write out my check to the, to the church, when I, when I do it, whenever God gives me money, and I'm starting to think, well, I, I really don't need to, 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 to give that much. Maybe I can keep a little bit here in order to save for this other thing that I want for myself. Those are the kinds of things when we ex- get to a position of God's will for our life, puts us in a position of realizing our exposure. And we just have to ask ourselves a very simple question. Am I trusting God for this will in my life that is his? And I will trust him to protect me through the exposure. Because I know I'm doing this for him. Not for myself, not for convenience sake, not for worldly wisdom. The nation of Israel is here on the wrong side of the Jordan River because of Joshua's leadership. He not only exposed the nation of Israel to military oppression, but then he went about, as we learned the last time, put them in a situation where they were physically disabled by circumcising all the fighting men and putting them out of commission for three days. And the ability for them to fight back was greatly reduced, but that exposure was something that God knew was going to happen, so he put such a fear in the lives of all the Amorites that they did not want to attack the nation of Israel because they knew that the hand of God and the miraculous intervention of Almighty God was with these people. And so while they lay there helpless, they still were too afraid to attack them, and God prepared that and made it happen for them. Gentlemen, when God calls us and directs our lives and makes us live by faith to whatever his calling might be, any exposure that we might normally be afraid of, in God's will, God's provision protects us. The Israelites celebrated the Passover, and this is a great time for the nation of Israel. For some of you who are really familiar with the scripture, the Passover automatically starts to flow. This amazing picture and movie of a story And for you guys who are not really familiar with it, it comes from the time when the nation of Israel was in uh, captivity with the Egyptians. God uh, brought in Moses. He did uh, ten amazing miracles. The last miracle was God was going to say to the nation of Egypt, let my people go. If you don't, the firstborn of all your families are going to be mine. And God told Moses, tell all the Israelites, sacrifice a lamb, get that blood, get a, a branch of hyssop, Use that as a paintbrush and put the the blood of the lamb on the two doorposts of your home and the lintel above so that the entry of your home is now going to be covered by this blood. Keep your family inside. Put on your sandals. Put on your robe. Grab your staff. Get ready to move. Because this night, I am going to perform a miracle for you. So the nation of Israel obeyed the word of Moses, and all the people who believed sacrificed this lamb. And the angel of death came that night and passed over every home that had the blood on the doorposts and the lintel. He passed over those homes that were covered by the blood. And every home that did not have the blood, the firstborn in that family, died. In that horrific, historic sense of that amazing miracle and judgment together, 
The nation of Israel remembers how God protected them because of the blood. And as far as we know, the nation of Israel really didn't know what was going on from this particular perspective, and they ended up not observing the Passover for all their time in the wilderness. We have no evidence of anything other than there at the Mount Sinai. So they celebrated the Passover one time in Egypt, once at Sinai, and now for the third time, as far as we can tell from the biblical record, just the third time they celebrated the Passover is right here. And God didn't perform the miracle again. He just gave them a celebration to remember the miracle that had occurred. Now, if that sounds vaguely familiar to all of you, it's something that should strike a a moment of, of resolve in all of us as men. Whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper and Jesus Christ's blood spilled for us so that our sins can be forgiven, that we can have this righteousness in standing before God, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about, to remember what God has done in our past as recipients of the grace of Almighty God. Now, this is so important for us as men that we lead our wife, that we lead our family, we lead our friends and those people that we are discipling. We lead them to a point to realize that the Lord's Supper is a very special time to remember. It's not just a religious rite where we are quiet and not moving and respectful. It is a time to remember an amazing intervention by God for us, for our salvation with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So we have here an amazing application that we can put in. Whenever I put LAPP, that's life application. That means after I teach something, I throw it back into your lap. And uh, that's the whole idea that the Lord's Supper should be marked by us as a moment to lead ourselves and those that we love, those that we influence in the point of remembering our devotion to the Lord because of what he has already done for us so long ago. The second verse in this passage of Scripture in verse 11 The day after Passover, God's tithing is uh, miraculous. The very next day, uh, the nation of Israel is going to have something sealed into them because of what they get to experience. They ate some of the produce of the land, this land flowing with milk and honey that God had promised to Moses, and he promised to them as a nation that this is where God was going to lead them, and they get to enjoy it. And the amazing thing is that how the Scripture emphasizes this fact, that very day, Those words stand out so powerfully in the Scripture. God wants them to realize that there is a timing of events that are occurring here over three days. They were eating manna every single day for for 40 years of wandering in the desert. This this little speck of, of white that's scattered around the ground after the dew dried off. They gather all that and they make bread. It was a miraculous thing. It never happened before. It's never happened since. But it was an edible food that God provided in a wilderness that had nothing to sustain human life. If you've never been over to the Middle East, uh, before Jesus Christ comes, you ought to go. Go visit that place. And when you get a chance to get down there to see the wilderness from a nice place with a bottle of water in your hand and some food waiting in the van, just think, man, if I had to live there for four days, it would be tough. If I had to live there for four years, it would be tough. But if I had to live there for 40 years... How on earth? There's nothing grown out there. It's absolutely parched. It's some of the ugliest landscape on the face of the earth. Yet every single morning, God would provide this food, except for one day during the week. And even that timing and the miraculous thing, they got so used to the routine, it was no longer a miracle. 
Can you get that sense in our minds? It happened with such routine, it was no longer a miracle. So when I uh, got here this morning and I was sitting there in my truck, I was thinking through this lesson and I thought, God, every time I go down I-10, I want to stop and just thank you for getting me to where I'm going safely. It's a miracle. But it happens so routinely, sometimes we forget. And I remember thinking a number of times in my life, God, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to talk to my guardian angel and probably two dozen of them because they got exhausted in the process and they had to ask for a substitute. I'd really like for them to play me just a little bit of a video every time you rescued my life and I didn't even realize it. What an amazing, phenomenal idea here that the scriptures give to us as uh, we think about through this whole process of God's amazing timing. As we think about uh, this throwing back into their lap, the Passover reminds us of God's protection and now that they are going to enjoy God's provision. Those two words are key. God protected them. Now God's provision is absolutely overwhelming. He protected them through the wilderness. And now as they enter into the promised land, God's bounty is going to be given to them in overwhelming form. In the last verse of our scripture here, the Bible tells us that this man has stopped the day after the food that they ate from the land was ingested. God's timing is amazing, and it teaches us that there is something special about God that he never wastes anything. God never wastes anything. And so if there's ever anything around our lives that's being left undone, unused, it's just being wasted, give it away. Uh, one of my, my sons was telling me that uh, things are getting a little tough as he's going through graduate school, and uh, he, he had to rearrange his budget. He actually had to ask Dad for some money, and that was tough for him. But what, because he did, I knew that things were really desperate, and I was more than happy, didn't give him any guilt trip, just gave him the money. And the last time we were together, I said, so how's, how's it going financially? He says, God, Dad, you'll never, you'll never guess what God did. I says, well, tell me. He said, well, I, in my small group, I told these guys about uh, my, my goal to rearrange my budget is I'm starting to wrap up my grad education, and I just asked them to pray for it. So they prayed, and then every week they asked me, well, how's the budget thing going? And they said, oh, it's going fine. It's going fine. Oh, it's okay. Things are developing. They says, well, how's your tuition? Oh, God's taking care of it. Well, what about living? Oh, my rent's taken care of. How long? Till July. And um, they said, well, what about food? He says, well, this is what I've got for food. They said, that's all you got in your budget for food? He says, well, it's, it'll work out. And the guy reached into his pocket and handed him a wad of, of money and uh, several hundred dollars. He says, well, this should help your food budget. Don't use it for anything else. Use it for your food budget. And uh, he said, Dad, it was amazing. I, 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 he's, he's a great friend and we're, we're together in this. I didn't know he had any extra money. But he he told me that his dad told him always have cash on hand, always have a thousand bucks, and uh, keep it in savings. And then at the end of the year, if you didn't use any of it or if you have any left, at the end of the calendar year, give it away, and then save it up again to another thousand bucks. If you need it as an emergency, go ahead and use it. But if you don't use it by the end of that calendar year, give it away. What an amazing thought. I says, yeah, son, that's a really great advice. I, I really suggest you keep 100 bucks handy. And if at the end of the year you haven't used it, send it back to me. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing phenomenon when you think about how God provides 
And then when, when it comes to a point where you transition us to another position, God has provided all of that to a point to bring us to someplace else. And uh, when, I, when I think about uh, these moments, and, and so many of us guys relate to, to, to issues with regard to finances, I, 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 I surely am. And um, I remember when my, my son came home from college, he was our second born, and now this was a special historic moment because we had now two children that were tuition dependent. And uh, if, you've, if you have kids in college or had kids in college or are anticipating kids in college, it is, a, it is a horrific, it is a horrifically financial, financially difficult time. And so here we were, our second child went off to college and finished his first semester. He came home for Christmas. We welcomed him home, and uh, we were sitting down for dinner, and the phone rang. And I answered it, and they asked for my son, so I handed him the phone, and we could listen to the conversation. It didn't sound pleasant. When he hung up the phone, he was just really quiet, standing there by the phone, and said, hey, what's going on? Is that bad news? Sound like bad news? He says, yeah. That was the university. It was a Christian university he wanted to go to. We sent him there. It was one of the best he can, we, can, we could afford at the time. And uh, he and his sister were both there. And uh, he said, the university said, I, I, I have this much money that I have to pay for this last semester. And this much money I have to pay to go back for the next semester. And because I'm in that area where I have so much that I still owe and so much that I haven't put down for the next semester... They said, I can't return. Man, our whole family was quiet. And my uh, my son was angry, and he he pounded on the the table, and I understood that. And the meal, I don't even remember if we finished the meal, but the next conversation I had with my son sometime later, I said, well, I guess we got to come up with another option. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes, which is really difficult for a young Asian man to do with his dad. And says, I know this is tough, but honestly, Mom and I, we saved up the best we could, and, and, all, and we gave you all we could for your first year. And it was all used up. It was all used up. I said, probably the best thing we can do is, hey, I'll take tomorrow off. We'll go down to the local community college, and we'll, we'll enroll you there for at least a semester, maybe a year. And uh, it'll be cheap enough that you can stay here at home for free and we can just start saving up and we'll see if we can get you back to that college. And he walked off with hardly saying a word. And the next morning he got up and apologized for being so reticent. And I said, hey, I understand. He got up the next morning and was more cheerful. He says, you know, Dad, I just prayed about it all night long. And I just really believe that this solution that you suggested, I go to the community college here locally, that's, I think that's what God wants us to do. I said, great, I'll take the day off of work. We went over to there to the community college and beautiful building, walked around, beautiful place, went to the registrar. We registered him. It was really easy. It was a half a page. And I just had to give proof of my residency. And we signed him up for all these classes that he needed that all of them could transfer because the school was accredited. And then he, he asked the question. He says, so what's the tuition? And they told him the tuition. And he about dropped on the floor. He says, that's all? And I kind of elbowed him. Don't say that. <laughs> so it was an amazing. I mean, what, what we pay for in real estate taxes actually does something good if you just do it. So we, we went home, and I remember driving home. I, I, my son was so joyful. He says, Dad, what a, what a lesson. 
of God's provision through you and the family. I know you guys sacrificed to get me to that university for my first semester, but I think this is really going to work out. I'll just work really hard. All the classes will transfer, so I can go back there in a, in a semester or a year or whenever, whatever it takes. So it's good, but let's go home and just tell the family. So that night we were at dinner again, just a night later, one night later, having the same meal, dinner, and he was telling everybody about how God had provided this amazing option, and the phone rang, so I picked it up, and I handed it to my son, it's for you. So he stood up and got on the phone, and he, he was so quiet, and he just says, thank, thank you. And he hung up the phone, and he stood there for a long time, just like the night before. And I said, that sounded like bad news again. He says, no. He said, that was a university, and they said someone paid for my last semester's tuition which was thousands of dollars. He says, not only did they pay for my last semester's debt, they also paid for my next semester, which is thousands more. And he says, they don't know who did it, and I don't know who did it, but I guess I'm going back to the university. Now, I don't think you ever saw that on USA Today. You never saw it on the news. But whenever... Whenever I'm with someone and they're talking about how tough it is to do double tuition, I said, yeah, I know exactly how you feel, but God, man, he did a miracle for us. And I've practiced that phrase, yeah, God did a miracle for us. Whenever that topic comes up about double tuition, I'll say, yeah, boy, I understand how you feel. God did a miracle for us. You know, all you have to do is say that phrase, a miracle for us. And that other person who brought up the topic... They'll ask, well, what happened? People are interested in the miracles that happen in the lives of other people for similar situations. He didn't have to, no one has ever asked me, can you, can you explain how you exegeted that from Scripture? Can you tell me the theological premise on which you have built that particular argument? No one's ever asked for a praise on the discussion of how this particular intervention by God's divine intervention ever applied to us and can be established in reality. I never do that. They just want to hear the story of a miracle that God has done. And gentlemen, you all have one. Gentlemen, you all have many miracle stories. And all you have to do at the right time when you hear that topic come up, yeah, I understand exactly how you feel, there was a miracle in my life when that happened. All I have to do is say that, and then that person's going to ask for more information. And, and you may not feel like you're the best witness. You may not feel like you can give the best testimony. But if you could just tell the story of what God did when he intervened in your life, it will touch the life of somebody else, and Jesus Christ might become very real for somebody else who doesn't even know the Savior yet. Now, as you go to your table time, this is our discussion. Remembering the miracles of God, just like here, the timing of God for the miracle of manna that they experienced for 40 years stopped the very next day after they had enjoyed the tremendous promise of the food of the promised land. What are those miracle stories for you? God doesn't ask you to go come to seminary. Some of you, he does, but for many of you, he doesn't. He just wants you to understand his miraculous intervention in your life and when somebody else goes through a tough time, just make that little phrase, and they will ask you, what in the world happened in your life?
And every time we go through the Lord's Supper, we get to refresh the greatest miracle that we've all enjoyed, and that is Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Have a great table talk, guys. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.